I find fascinating about our place right now in the book of John, chapter 4, is that up until this point, there have been three different responses that I see in the text as it relates to who Jesus is. I see three different responses up until this point and a fourth that, a fourth that comes from our passage today. The first response that I see in, in the text so far is that you have the Jews in John chapter 2 who are very skeptical of all that Jesus is doing. They, they doubt his authority. They doubt who he is. So that's kind of response number one. Number two is you have uh, someone like Nicodemus who, who seems unsure as to what to believe. He seems to be searching. He seems to be asking questions. So that's, that's response number two. That, then there's response number three. You have people like the Samaritans in chapter 4, verse 42, who are eager and they're ready to believe the word of God after they hear the word of God. And finally, we come to our passage today and we see a fourth response as to who Jesus is. The Galileans. It actually tells us in our text today that they, they welcome him. But the Galileans are welcoming him because of his signs and wonders at the Passover festival and, and at the wedding in Cana. You see, their response to Jesus was they wanted Jesus to put on a show and do miracles for them. But is that the type of faith and attitude that Jesus wants and desires from us? We'll dive into that more as we go this morning, but let's take a look at the story this week in John chapter 4. So Jesus comes from, he comes to Cana in Galilee, the place where he performed the miracle of turning water into wine, and that was his first sign that he performed when he came from Judea into Galilee. Now we have his second sign in Galilee, and it tells us in verse 45, verse 45 of chapter 4, that the Galileans welcomed him. I want to just kind of sit in on this idea of welcoming him for a minute. I want to read that one more time. John 4, 45, it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also had been there. You see, they embraced Jesus as miracle man. They embraced Jesus as the sign guy. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this passage, I thought this was really helpful. He says this, There is nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where the leadership who rejected Jesus as Savior and Messiah ever questioned his miracle power. Nobody ever questioned that. It was impossible to question that. The miracles were way too common, too complete, and too unmistakably divine, and there were far too many of them to deny. And so it was that kind of reception that we saw in chapter 2, verse 23, that kind that Nicodemus gave him, where Nicodemus saw in Jesus miracle worker, and he said, nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. So that was the same kind of attitude, the same level of belief that you end up finding in Galilee. They believed in him as a miracle worker. But is that the way in which Jesus wants us to believe? No. If you guys can remember from the very first week of this study that Dan Moore shared, he pointed out that the purpose of this book, the purpose of John's gospel here, comes from John 20, verse 31. The purpose of writing this gospel letter comes right from John 20, 31, and it says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So it's not just believing miracles about Jesus or the signs and the wonders that he does, but believing that he is truly the Christ, the Son of God, having faith that everything that Jesus says and everything that he does is true. 
So the Galileans are welcoming Jesus into their town, but they wanted miracles. They wanted him to put on a show. What I find fascinating in this text as well is that one verse before in John 4:44, it ends up saying that Jesus had no honor in his own hometown. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him, right? Like it said in John chapter 1, verse 11. These people are unaware of their need for Jesus. Danny Brooks, in his commentary on this passage, says this, that this is, a kind, this is a kind of welcome, but not a welcome of faith like the Samaritans who believe and worship as the Savior of the world would give. It is the kind of welcome spectators give a magician. They want to see another miracle show. They, this is the kind of welcome or, or the worship. This is not the kind of welcome of faith or the worship of true disciples. Jesus is not some Las Vegas magician who performs signs and wonders for the oohs and ahs of an audience. Jesus is the sovereign, authoritative God in flesh whose word is powerful and whose person is exclusively worthy of our service and worship. Jesus did these miracles and signs so that people would believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. That people would believe in his entire personhood. That he was the Word made flesh. That he was the Son of God. You see, this is so important to establish before we dive into this story because Jesus is so much more than just a Vegas magician. He's so much more than just Miracle Man. He's so much more than just our personal vending machine where we only, he only answers prayers as we see fit, and we're the boss, and we know what's best. Jesus is who he says he is. He is our highest authority, and he is worthy of our entire lives submitted and given over to him. So it's important to establish this before we really dive into this story. So let's continue in on our passage. John 4, 46 is our next verse, and it says, And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. I want to stop there real quick. This official was an official of the king. And the king at the time in the area was, was King Herod Antipas. And Herod, he was a tyrant. He was a really bad and evil man. And in fact, we, we read from Scripture, we find out that Herod was actually, this Herod was actually the one that put John the Baptist to death. He was an evil man. And so this official works for this evil king. And so this official, though, we find out from our passage that he has a son. And his son is his ill. His, his son is sick. But he gets word that Jesus is coming from Judea into Galilee. And he goes to him and, and he asks him to come down to his house to heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So this official, he gets word that Jesus is coming, and, and he's desperate because his boy is sick. When I was doing prep this week, I, what I like to do is I often like to just make observations of the text. And so I'll, I'll write down things that I'm noticing. I'll write, I like to ask questions of the text. And I, I just I wonder as I read this, I, I was wondering, man, I wonder what exact disease did this young boy have? I wonder, you know, how old exactly was his little son? doesn't quite tell us that in the text, and, but what it does tell us in the text is that his son is sick, he's at the point of death, and in verse 52 it says he's got a really high fever. Now let me stop here and just say this. As a parent, there is not many things that are sadder than seeing your kids sick. Something I'm realizing this past year, we have a 13-month-old son, and, and over the last year or so, he's gotten sick a few times. 
He ended up getting COVID back in January, and, and seeing my little baby boy, he's just got terrible congestion. He's struggling to feed. It's just sad to watch your kids sick. And I think parents know that feeling. They know that, that sadness, watching your kids sick and suffer. But there's another level to all of this that as a parent I was struck with just two weeks ago. I heard a story of a child that was recently diagnosed with leukemia. And this just hit me in such a new light as a parent. Finding out this news that this child was sick with leukemia, it brought tears to my eyes. I, I couldn't help but think about the pain. And You want to take that on as a parent. You don't want your kid to suffer. You want to take that on for them, right? You love your child so much and you want to do all that you can do to take that on. Well, in this story, this official's son is, is very sick. It says to the point of death. Can you imagine the desperation, the anxiety, the helplessness that this official felt? And isn't it interesting that his desperation led him to Jesus? The official gets word in, in verse 47 that, that Jesus is coming, and there's, there's this word going around that this miracle worker, Jesus, is coming into town. And I think about, man, I, I want the glimmer of hope that this man must have felt. But remember, the Galileans welcomed him because of his signs and wonders. It was a welcome for a man that, that put on a show. <laughs> but boy, Jesus was so much more than this. This, you know, believing just in signs and wonders, that's not true belief. They, they wanted to use Jesus for their benefit and their entertainment. But nonetheless, it was desperation that led this man to Jesus. I'm so struck by it. When you read through the gospel accounts and, and you see different stories of healings, you, you see desperation in people coming to Jesus. I mean, I keep thinking about this week, what would I do if my son was dying? I would want to check out every possible resource and, and expend every possible resource to make sure that he's okay. And this man, this official, you, you got to think that, I mean, he, he must have tried everything to the point where he was desperate enough to go to Jesus. I love how there are moments of desperation that lead people to Jesus today. Listen around sometimes, whether you're at your work environment or to your neighbors or to your family members that don't know Jesus. People are desperate. You can hear it. You can hear it in their voices. Whether it's, man, I, I remember when um, I worked at a grocery store in college, I, I just remember having so many gospel conversations that I would hear the desperation in people's voices. I am struggling financially. I don't know if we're going to make it. Or, man, I, we're struggling because this person's sick. I'm desperate because this family member has cancer. Or this person is, is dying. People are desperate. And desperation is a beautiful opportunity to lead people to Jesus. These are the moments that Jesus comes in and brings life and reveals who he is. So the official pleads with Jesus to come home with him to heal his son in the story today. And check out Jesus' response in chapter 4, verse 48. It says this, Jesus responds with, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Though he's talking to the official here, there's a rebuke here of those that would only believe unless it was a sign and wonder. He's talking to this man personally, but also he's talking to the Galileans. He's talking to the man, but he's also talking to the Galileans because this is how the Galileans were. 
Henry Alford, in his commentary, said that these words imply the contrast between the Samaritans who believed Jesus because of his word versus the Jews who would not believe but only through signs and prodigies. Jesus wanted the Galileans to get to a place where they saw past the signs and wonders, to welcome him, not just for his miracles, but to see past it and recognize, wow, this has to be the Son of God. This man is worth following. This man deserves all of my attention. This man deserves my life surrendered to him. This man gets to speak into my life. I want to be with this man and center my life around this man. Have you come to that place in your life yet? Have you truly believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he has that authority over your life? I hope and pray that you have. As our story continues this morning, Jesus, he makes that statement to the official by saying, unless you people see the signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And verse 49 says, the official responds to him, Sir, come down before my boy dies. I love the recognition and honor given to Jesus in this moment of desperation here by even calling him Sir. In verse 50 of chapter 4, Jesus says, Go, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't actually go with him to his house, but rather tests this man's faith by telling him to believe his word, to go to his son, and he would be healed. Notice with me for a moment the significance of all of this. I hope you guys catch this because I think this is so beautiful. Notice with me the significance of Jesus using his words to heal this man's son. The entire purpose of John was that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus has authority. And Jesus has been receiving all of these different types of responses thus far in the gospel. And what did John establish from the beginning, though? John established in the very beginning of his book that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus was the Word. Jesus was a part of the beginning in Genesis where God spoke and things came into being. Jesus was the Word made flesh in John. Jesus uses his words as the word to heal this man's son. Do you see the connections here? Do you see why Jesus is worth following? Do you see his deity on display in this passage? Do you see the authority in which Jesus possesses? He is a man of his word. He is the word made flesh. There is power in the words and in the name of Jesus. The official is persuaded in this moment by the word of Jesus that his statement here is true. Jesus tells him to go, and he believes. He doesn't, it doesn't tell us in the, the text that he questions why he's actually not going with him to his house, although that seems like it would have been a logical thing to do. It's probably what I would have done to heal him. But Jesus says go, and he believes. I'm struck by the obedience in that simple go, and he believes and departs. My mind this week went back to Jesus' call on his disciples. 
Come, come, come follow me. Come, come follow me. And they drop their nets and they leave everything and follow him. There's no questioning about it. This man is worth following and giving up my life for. And so the official, he believes and he, he begins to head back home. And, and in my study this week, one commentary pointed out that it was likely a 15 to 20 mile journey back home for this official. And based on the text, when the official arrives back home and finds out that his son is alive, we gather that the servants end up telling him that it was yesterday when his son's fever broke. So we, we find out through this text that it was a day's journey because the, the, he comes up, he gets back home, and the servants say it was yesterday, actually, when his son's fever broke. We'll get to this more in a minute, but what strikes me is that Jesus tells the official to go because his son has been healed. And he goes trusting in the word of God. But he had to wait a day to find out what really happened. He had to wait a day for it to truly be confirmed. I wonder what that journey home must have been like for that official. I mean, the thoughts of, yes, I'm going home, and he believes, but I wonder if he ever, in his mind, thought, is, you know, is he really healed? Like, I'm going home, and Jesus is, is not going with me. But I believe, but I mean, in the back of my mind, is he really healed? I'm so struck by these verses because there is often waiting involved in our Christian life, is there not? This man had to, by faith, believe in the promises of Jesus, but he had to wait a day to see it. Isn't that much like our Christian life? I mean, some of us have sick family members who have cancer or are in a desperate place, much like this official, and we've been praying over those people for years. And we've been waiting on God to heal and put an end to the pain. And we live in this space of waiting and trusting God and his word and his promises that he's going to work it out for our good and for his glory. But sometimes that isn't often how we feel. Is, where is he at? God, where are you at in all of this? God, are you going to come through? And there is such a mystery to the healings from God and from Jesus. I mean, why does God choose to heal some people and not others? I wish we had time for another entire message on this, but let me just say this. This is what we know. After calling Christians heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if we are to share in Christ's glory, we also must share in his suffering. We live by faith sharing in the sufferings, living in this space of waiting and living by faith in the promises of God and knowing that they are true. And one day, we live by faith knowing that one day we will have an eternal home where there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears. Johnny Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic and she's not been able to get out of her bed for more than 50 years, shed some wonderful light on all of this. She brings up three questions that I want to read to you guys. The first one is this. She says, does it show a lack of faith if people are not healed while I'm praying for them? <laughs> no. The focus of our faith should always be Jesus. Although Jesus wants what's best for his followers, best is not always an easy life with no sickness or pain. God's idea of best may include physical hardships that drive us closer to him. 
Second question she asks is, but why does God heal some people and not others? She responds, we cannot know what God has not revealed. God may occasionally grant miraculous healing as a gracious glimpse and sneak preview of the coming age when people are healed miraculously, and it should encourage us to look forward to the time when healing will be for all of God's people one day in eternal glory. And number three, she asks, what should our response be when God doesn't heal? And this is coming from a quadriplegic who has, not been out of who has not been able to get out of bed by herself in more than 50 years. This is what she says. When the bed sores afflict me as the boils did for Job in scriptures, I will say as Job says, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And when I feel bound to my wheelchair as Paul was to his chains, I will say with Paul, for you have given me not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Philippians 1, verse 29. So just like the official, we often find ourselves waiting and living in the space of this already but not yet, that Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom, but we know that for those that are in Christ, there will be no more pain one day, there will be no more suffering, and that there will be healing for those that are in Jesus one day in eternal glory. And we live by faith praying for healing, but if we are believers, we know that the pain and what's going on in our life, there will be complete healing one day. And in the space of waiting, not knowing if it's true, not knowing, you know, this, this pain that's going on, just like this official was in, God is trying to work in us in that waiting. He's trying to sanctify us. It blows my mind time after time how God has used the dark moments, the trials, the failures, the death of friends in my life, of family members, to sanctify me, to use it for his glory bringing people to Christ through tragedy and trials. And in the meantime, we live by faith, trusting in the word, Jesus Christ. What I love about this story is how it ends. John 4, verse 51 through 54 says this, While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying this, his, that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time did he get better? Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. And then he himself believed along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign that Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So the official ends up going back home, and he finds out that his boy is alive and that he got better. And his slaves tell him that yesterday at 7 in the morning, that's when the fever broke. This just blew my mind this week, and I hope it kind of does for you as well, because that was the exact moment that Jesus told him, your son will live. He travels the day. He gets there and says, when did the fever break? Is my, what happened? The servants go, yesterday at 7 in the morning. And he recalls, that's exactly when Jesus told me to go because my son will live. Wow. He was truly healed. Jesus was a man of his word. And what happens next? The man believes along with his whole household. 
Isn't that interesting how it says that he believes twice? It said when, when Jesus told him to go because your son will live, it says he went, he departed, and he believed. But now he sees it. It's confirmed. He gets to his house and he sees that his son is alive and doing well. And it says that he believed and his entire household believed. This reminds me of the stories in Acts that we, we read in our series of how an entire household would come to faith. So what happened here? I mean, did he believe twice? I mean, he, his faith grew. His faith grew here. He believed not only in the works of Jesus, but he believed in the words of Jesus. He believed in all of who Jesus was in this moment. His life must have never been the same. And his entire household believed as well. Folks, Jesus was true to his word. He had him healed by his word. This morning as we close, I want to invite the band to come on up. I want to ask you guys a simple question as we close this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is true to his word and to his promises? Folks, Jesus is so much more than just a Vegas magician. He is so much more than just miracle man. The purpose of this book is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him you will find life. Have you placed your faith in the one who possesses this authority that was the Son of God? If you haven't, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day you believe. Repent of your sins today and believe and put your faith solely in Jesus. Who he is and what he's done for you by dying on that cross for the sin that you committed and that he rose again, that one day we will have eternal life with him. Today can be the day of salvation. Folks, as we close, I, I want to say this as well. Folks, this Christian life, it's one of waiting and it's one of living by faith. Let's not miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives in the valleys, in the times of waiting. Our good shepherd Jesus is trying to lead us. And he's going to care for us, even in the valleys. And if you're his child, he will lead you safely home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the word. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us, that you were in the beginning. Everything that you said and did was true, Father. You And Jesus, we are thankful that you used your words as the word to heal this man and, Lord, to build up our faith. God, would you strengthen the faith of your dear children here this morning? Father, I pray for those that they're struggling in the, in the moments of waiting that you would encourage them this morning, that you would build their faith, that you would remind them that you are with them in the valley, that you would remind them that you are trying to do something in them in the midst of all of it. Father, take your word, plant it deep within us, shape and fashion it for your likeness, into your likeness, Jesus. We love you. Here I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship as we close this morning.